Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. If you saw in the video that rolled right before I came up here that The word Advent means a coming into place, a coming into view, a coming into being or an arrival. We, for the month of December, have taken the word Advent and the word eventually and brought them together to make the word eventually. Eventually means finally, ultimately, at some later time. So when you put Advent and eventually together, we're talking about that ultimately and finally and at some point, there's going to be a coming into view and an arrival of the reality that's already present, though not visible to the natural eye, and that is that Jesus is king over the nations of the earth that His kingdom is at hand, that He is Lord, and He's Lord of all. For those of you that are here today that have not just been created by God, but have been reconciled back to your Creator through the only mediator, Jesus Christ, and His provision, His death, burial, and resurrection. For those of you that have been restored in your relationship to your Creator and know God now as your Father, as children of God, what that means for us is we are waiting. We are waiting for the king's return. We are waiting for his visible reign over the nations to take place. I have found as we wait for the return of Jesus Christ that we're also, as we're waiting for that return, we're waiting for many other things. Some of you are waiting for God to speak to you regarding areas of frustration, areas of confusion. Some of you are waiting, even as we wait for the King, Jesus Christ, to return, you're waiting for God's healing hand to heal areas of your heart where dreams have been broken, where expectation has begun to be squandered because of hardships and difficulties. I have found that as we're waiting for the king to return, we're waiting in so many areas of our life. The issue is, is there's a difference between waiting and waiting well. I can tell you that personally as your pastor and as outside of this pulpit, as a brother and sister to you and one who's walking, following Jesus just like you, that I have not always waited well. And being that I've not always waited well, I'm confident that there have been seasons and times in your own life where you are like me and have not waited well. When you look at the Christmas story, the story surrounding Jesus Christ and the King's first coming to earth, the first advent of Him coming into view, when you look at the story, a major point of observation that stood out to me regarding the birth of the long-awaited Messiah are those specifically named. It really stands out to me of 
Who is specifically named in Scripture? Let me talk to you for a moment about some of those specifically named. One of the first is a man named Simeon. Simeon is said to be by Scripture a just and devout man waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Bible says that it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now that's an interesting promise. You're not going to die until you see the Lord's Christ. You want to talk about tension? Because that means when God's promise is fulfilled to him, he's about ready to die. (laughs) That's one of those you sort of want it fulfilled, and at the same point when it's fulfilled, you know you're about ready to die. I can imagine people coming to Simeon, saying, Simeon, what are you doing? What is your purpose in life? And he says, I'm waiting for the arrival, the coming into view of Jesus Christ, the long-promised and waited Messiah. Then when he sees the Christ child in the temple, I can imagine after that promise is fulfilled, people are saying, Hey, Simeon, what are you doing now with your life? I'm waiting. Notice Simeon was waiting before the coming of Christ, and then even after the promise, he's waiting to now go be with God in heaven. He's waiting. Then there's Anna. Anna is said to be a prophetess who was an 80 four-year-old widow. And she didn't depart from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers. Listen, that's called waiting. Prayer is taking the posture of waiting on God. We've had series on prayer in this community, and we've done our best to help you understand that prayer is not just us giving our petitions to the Father, but it's also us taking a position and posture to wait and hear from Him. But Anna is a person who day in and day out was in the temple waiting on the Lord through prayers and fasting, night and day. It's interesting because Jesus hadn't even came yet. There was no Christmas celebration that the king has come and yet she was waiting faithfully in the temple day and night. It really exposes a lot of American Christianity when we seek to just come regularly to worship the Lord corporately. But here is Anna waiting day in and day out with fastings and prayer. Then another person mentioned is Elizabeth, who is the mother of John the Baptist. And the Bible says regarding her that she was waiting for her full time to come for her to be delivered. Very interesting. Simeon's waiting. Anna is waiting. Elizabeth is waiting. Then there's Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist. And the text, the biblical text says he's waiting to be able to speak again. Then there's Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the scripture highlights about her. She's waiting for her days to be completed for her to be delivered. Now, I wasn't the best in school, and I'm not the smartest person here today, but I see a clear point that scripture's making, is that those that the scripture mentions regarding the birth of Christ, they are all people that were waiting. Simeon was waiting, Anna was waiting, Elizabeth was waiting, Zacharias was waiting, Mary was waiting. A common characteristic of the people specifically mentioned in Scripture surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ is their experience of having to wait. I want to tell you up front this morning that Jesus will make you wait. At some point in some season, at some point on this journey, Jesus will make you wait. 
I don't know today what you are having to wait for. But you can find consolation and comfort. You can understand today that you are not the only one acquainted with such experiences. I want to tell you up front today that self-pity is a dangerous ploy of the enemy of thinking that you're the only one waiting for the promise of God in an area, that you're the only one waiting for clarity and direction and for God to move in a family member or move in your business or move in your career. I want to tell you that self-pity and the thoughts and the idea that it's me and you alone are suffering and experiencing waiting, that that is a dangerous ploy of the enemy. Up front today, we all need to understand that we all as followers of Jesus Christ will experience waiting at some point. You're not alone today. Regardless what you hear in your mind, regardless of your emotions, if you're waiting today, find consolation and comfort that those of us that are followers of Jesus Christ as well, we have to wait in times for God to move, for God to speak, for God to fulfill His promises. See, number one, when we think about waiting, is waiting can teach and remind us that we are not in control. Waiting can teach and remind you that we are not in control. It's a value of having to wait. It reveals our frailty as a human. It reveals the fact that we are not God, that we cannot always control others and control circumstances and control people's response. Waiting can reveal the reality that we are not in control and we're not in the center of the universe. When you look at the scriptures regarding the birth of the Christ child and His first advent and coming, there are two other groups of people that we want to look at today and they are sojourners and shepherds. Sojourners are also called by scripture wise men. We find out about these sojourners and these wise men in Matthew 2 and verse 1. You can follow with me there on your card or on the screen. Matthew 2 and verse 1, the gospel writer Matthew says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, For thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. When you have found him, bring back word to me, that I may come and worship him also. Verse 9, When they heard the king, they departed. Behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the child, young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Notice the gospel writer Matthew says about these sojourners 
these so-called wise men that they came from the east to Jerusalem. I don't need to impress you with the amount of steps that they took and the amount of nights that they encountered and the amount of sleeps that they experienced before they arrived at Jerusalem. Let me just tell you that it suffice to say this morning that it was a very long journey. The point is that these are wise men who have learned in their journeying that there is waiting. They came a very long distance and in their journeying they are people that have learned that waiting is a reality. For them to come where God and the use of the star was leading them to behold the Christ child, they are wise men that have learned to wait. They had to wait till morning to be able to walk further. I can imagine that maybe they were calculated men. They were organized men and they planned, you know, each day we're going to, we're going to walk nine miles. And yet certain days due to the heat or due to rain or due to one of the other wise men not feeling well, they didn't reach their mark of making nine miles that day. And yet they had to wait until morning to come to continue their journey. I can imagine that weather at times hinders them from being able to move forward and yet they're waiting to keep on their journey, to keep moving forward. They're waiting to arrive. They're waiting to reach their destination. Their journey is filled with moments of waiting. And I would suggest that if they hadn't learned to wait well, they would have never made it to Jerusalem. I want to tell you that there's a heavenly Jerusalem that one day is going to come from heaven and be set on this earth Jesus Christ will rule over the nations for a thousand years visibly before we enter into eternity. But I desire that we would wait well, not just wait. That as followers of Jesus Christ, as we wait for His second return, we would wait well. Imagine the opportunities they had to turn back. Imagine the possible hardships and difficulties they had on this long journey from the east all the way to Jerusalem and yet they make it to behold the Christ child. See my concern is that as a community we would not be people that would wait well for the return of Christ. My hope and prayer for you and for us is that we would be a people that would wait well. That when the Lord returns, we would be found in a posture of fully pleasing the Father. Walking in the good works that God has planned for us. Finding our joy and our satisfaction and delight, not in this world, but in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Now here the wise men finally arrive after this long journey. They arrive in Jerusalem and they begin to ask, so where is He? Where is He? We've come a long distance and we are filled with expectation and we've made it through many trials and many hardships and long waiting to behold Him. Where is He? They ask the king, they ask the Jews, they ask those that they encounter, where is He? And the response from the people is, where is who? Very interesting. What's interesting is notice what the wise men, this is why they're wise, what they didn't do when they found that the people around them was not an expectant 
not in a posture of pursuing Christ like they were pursuing. They didn't say, well, Herod, I thought you were going to be a great king. I thought you were going to be the all-wise one. And look at you, you don't even know that the Christ child's been born. What kind of leader are you? I mean, come on, Herod, get it together. The king is born right, right down the street. And look at you, you're not aware. You're going about your life as if nothing's happened. Duh. Hey, Jews, guess what? You know, God gave you the scripture for like 2,000 plus years that he was going to send the king, and you're saying, where's who? I mean, hello, you have the scriptures. Like, OMG, wake up. That's what the wise men didn't do. But I found so often that while we're waiting, while we're pursuing the Lord, it gets very easy when we encounter other people that's not even clear, not even focused on what the Lord is doing now, that it is very easy for us not to be like the wise men and to allow others and their lack of hunger to cause us to stop our pursuit. See, what this means is, number two, waiting can form us to be slow to speak and quick to listen. The wise men say, where is he? They get a response they weren't expecting. They're thinking that the city is going to be in an uproar, that it's going to be celebration because the long-awaited Messiah and King has come. And yet they don't find that. They find people being given in marriage and eating and drinking and doing business and trading and going about life like it's normal. And yet something very unnormal has just happened. A virgin has given birth to the long-awaited king, the one that's going to save people from their sins and from oppression and from that which the enemy has sent into their families. He is here. And yet they're going about life like nothing has happened. The wise men are slow to speak. They're quick to listen. See, it is amazing how learning to wait well in times of life steals us. Gets us steal in so many areas. It gets our responses steal. It steals our outburst. It steals us, as I talked about in the first week of this month, from venting all of our frustrations and emotions. It, it steals our perceptions and it steals our tongue. Another thing waiting can do is, number three, waiting can purify us of wrong expectations. In verse 2, there in Matthew, the wise men say, where is he? They have an expectation that others are going to be as thrilled as them, that others have invested as much as they have in pursuing, in worship, in seeking the Christ child, and yet in their waiting they come to understand that their expectation was wrong. This is what waiting can do. Waiting purifies us of wrong expectations about life. It purifies of wrong expectations that we can control everything, that we can dictate everything, that we are king, we are God. Waiting can purify wrong expectations. Listen, don't expect busy people to see what those who have learned to be still can see. See, the wise men have learned. They've learned to wait. They've learned to be still. They've learned the process of pursuing what God was doing in their life. 
they come in and they get an exposure that not everybody can see what they see. Not everybody has seen the star of the great king because not everybody has postures in time to be still. Busy people can't see what people who get still can see. For instance, some of you know, don't, don't hit your neighbor, whoever drove you, but you sitting in the passenger seat of some of you when you drive? I mean, you're go, they're going so fast you can't see what's on, the, what's on the road. I mean, they're just flying down the street. You can't even see. What was that? Just flying. Because why? The faster we go, the more vulnerable we are to miss things. Our pace affects what we perceive. For people that don't even value corporate gathering, like don't even value church and stuff, listen, even that's fine, even if they don't value it, but you know one thing they could still gain just by coming is actually having a moment of margin sit still. That in and of itself creates great value for the culture and the day we live in. See, the wise men spent a lot of time stargazing, being still. The busy people didn't take that opportunity. Speed can decrease what we see clearly. That's why waiting becomes necessary at times. It steals our posture. In the waiting, we begin to slow. As the pace begins to slow, our perceptions can begin to increase about the wonder of God, about the greatness of God, about the reality that we're not God. See, number four, waiting can expose that not everyone around you is thrilled about Christ the King. Verse 3, when the wise men tell Herod and those about why they're there and their excitement, the Bible says Herod and the Jews and the religious leaders were troubled. See, waiting can expose that though you're thrilled about Jesus, though that you're in a posture of waiting for His return, waiting can reveal that there are others that aren't thrilled, but they're troubled. Because Jesus is the message that He's King, which means you're not King, which means I'm not King, which means we're not King. That's troubling to some. But waiting reveals people's hearts. It reveals people's motives. Also, number five, Waiting can expose that not everyone has been looking at things the way you have. When you give some things time, things that previously were hidden can become apparent. Notice that the wise men have been seeing things differently. They've been seeing the star from the east. Others haven't been seeing the star. Their perception's different. Why is this important? Because listen, we work with people. We have neighbors. We have family members that looks at things from a different angle than us. Waiting can remind us that not everybody sees everything from the view and the way we do. 
it helps us to begin to become more open, to become better listeners, and to realize that not everybody is like us. And number six, waiting can reveal how important doing life with others who have learned to wait is. Notice it wasn't just a wise man or a wise woman. It was wise men, plural. Meaning this, waiting reveals the importance of having other people who've learned to wait on the king and for his return. I want to tell you today it's not good to try to wait alone. I don't think that one of the wise men alone would have made that journey because after the hardships and probably sleepless nights and times with lack of water and necessities and all of that, there would have been so many difficulties and circumstances to overcome. But what we learn from this is that in the waiting for the king to return, the value of having others that you do life with that's learned to wait and to wait well. Notice the scripture said they waited till the star came and stood over where the young child was. They didn't stop short until they reached the destination. I don't want you to stop short of what God has for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and an expected end. Some of you, I want you to wait well until your son or your daughter comes and stands at the foot of this child who is the King Jesus Christ. I want some of you to wait and to wait well while you're waiting for a spouse to begin to open up areas that set the Lord can heal and speak truth to. I want some of you to wait well as you're praying and believing for friends to come to know the love of God as revealed through Jesus Christ. I want some of you to wait well as you're being faithful in your business or in your career for the Lord to open the next door of opportunity for you to use your gifts and talents for the glory of God. I want you to wait until that moment happens. I want you to wait and wait well until the promise takes place. They waited till the star brought them to the place of fulfillment. You're going to have to learn to wait in my prayer and hope and challenge today is that you would allow the Spirit of God to strengthen you to wait well for that promise to come. Lastly, regarding these sojourners, we see in Matthew 2 and verse 11, it says, And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, They departed for their own country another way. Notice that. That their waiting did not keep them from worshiping the king. This is big. Because this reveals an aspect of what waiting well looks like. That while you're waiting for God to move in a spouse's life, while you're waiting for God to move in your family's life, while you're waiting for God to move in an opportunity or for a new job or for open doors, when you're waiting for God to move in your own life, when you're waiting for promises that He spoke to you years ago to come to fulfillment, don't allow your waiting to steal your worship. Don't allow the difficulties of waiting 
to keep you from worshiping the king. Not just worshiping with your lips and with your mouth, which is very important. It's called the sacrifice of our praise. That Jesus, because of His sacrifices, is worthy of. But worship means also obeying Him. Listen, don't allow what you're waiting to keep you from worshiping Him him in obedience to what you already know to do. See, we can be waiting in one area and worshiping obediently in another area. See, when we're waiting, it doesn't mean that all areas of our life is waiting. There are some areas where we're worshiping, we're engaging, there's clarity, there's breakthrough, we're experiencing promises, and yet there's other areas of our life where we're waiting. Don't allow one area where you're waiting to rob you of all the other areas where you can worship. This is what waiting well looks like. Don't get so focused on where you're waiting that you get distracted from where you can worship. That you can still praise God. You can still obey God in what you know to do. That there are things that God's taught you that you can engage in. Don't allow the one area you're waiting to rob you of your worship in all the other areas. They waited well. Waiting well means worshiping Him. And then number seven, waiting well leads us to open our treasures to the King. It's amazing how waiting can get people to a place of brokenness, a place of the fear of the Lord, a place of understanding that He is God Almighty and they are not, that then begins to open up their treasures to the King. Listen to me, I don't know what your treasure is, but I know where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And waiting, and waiting well leads us to begin to open our treasuries to the King. Things that we value. Things that are of utmost importance. Things that we have held on to and we've assigned so much significance to. Waiting allows us to begin to present those treasures to the Lord, which means our heart begins to get more open to the King. Because where your treasure is, there your heart is. Waiting well leads us to open our treasures, our values, our priorities, our heart to the king. See, listen to me. You only wait long for that which you've assigned great value to. When we wait well as followers of Jesus, what we are saying is we've assigned great value. That Jesus Christ is a great treasure. Listen, the only reason I wait for my wife, she's not here, so I'm going to tell it like I want to. She says she always waits for me. but I, It's because she's actually ready early. She's got to get the kids ready. I get ready right on time. <laughs> so she waits for me, but I'm not late. I'm just right on time. But no, listen, but if I had to wait on my wife, you know the only reason I'd wait on my wife if we were going out on a, a date, just the two of us? is because I've assigned great value to her. Assigned great value. But there's people, if I had a phone meeting or, or a meeting with someone and I didn't assign great value to them, we were supposed to meet at a certain time and it's 15 minutes after. If you don't assign great value to that person you're waiting on, you're gone, right? I want you to know that the one we're waiting for, Jesus Christ, He's worthy for us to assign all of our treasure, all of our value, all of our hopes and dreams upon. 
that even where this life has seemed to rob you of dreams and bring heartache, I want to tell you that all of our ultimate desires and dreams are fulfilled in Him when He returns. Number eight, also waiting well leads us to present our gifts to Him. Notice it says that when they came, they saw the young child with Mary, they fell down in worship, they opened their treasures, and then they presented their gifts to Him. Waiting well leads us to present our gifts to Him for His purpose. While you're waiting in an area, waiting well means you still present the gifts and the talents and the skills God gave you to Him. You don't start trying to manipulate the potter. Well, Lord, I'll use my gift. Lord, I'll use my talent to honor you. Lord, now that you've blessed me in my business and blessed me in my career, Lord, I'll only tell people that it's because of you. If you will meet this area that I'm waiting on. No, 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 that's not waiting well. Waiting well means even when I'm waiting and I'm broken saying, God, I'm waiting until you and your grace and your power and your sovereignty move in an area. But while I'm waiting, I'm presenting my gifts to you. I'm presenting my service to you. I'm presenting my talents to you. I'm presenting my skills to you. I'm presenting my business to you. I'm presenting opportunities to you. That, Lord, I'm going to wait and I'm going to wait well and I'm going to present my gifts to you for your glory and for your honor and for your praise. This is waiting well. Presenting our treasuries. Continuing to worship while we wait and presenting our gifts to Him. So there were sojourners, the wise men, who learned to wait and wait well. Then lastly, today, there were shepherds. We read about the shepherds in Dr. Luke's account in Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 8, it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. Notice that keeping watch over the flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, and lying in a manger. What an interesting sign. Preached it before, but a manger there is a food trough. That's why it's a sign. A baby in clothes, wrapped, not necessarily a big sign, is it? But a baby in a food trough, that's an interesting sign. That's why Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. And I want to go ahead and tell you, what you're hungering for is actually found in Jesus. But then it says in verse 13, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest of heaven, and on earth peace to those of whom His favor rests. Verse 15, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger or food trough. What stands out to me is notice the shepherds were people by trade, people by posture, who were living out in the fields. I don't know the last time you've been out in a field, but there's not a lot of blinking lights. There's not a lot of signs and activities. There's not a lot of busyness happening. There's not a lot of people and a lot of opinions. 
This really speaks to all modern cultures, but how much more even us who is here in the 21st century with our iPhones and our instant emails coming into our phone and instant messaging and instant text and instant updates and all of that. This really speaks to us. Because notice those that the angel appeared. Those that were nearby to what God was moving in that moment. It was shepherds who were living out in the field. See, both the wise men and the shepherds that we find around Jesus during this time are people who have periods to be still. Shepherds are still for hours at a time as they watch over the flock, as the flock grazes. They are still as they watch over them at night, as the sheep sleep. Wise men are still as they look to the stars. Wise men are still as they observe what's happening around them. This is very countercultural for us here today. I want to ask us this question if we can come into agreement in this moment. Can we agree that if we live always at the pace of culture around us, we will be unable to know where God is working in our midst? I think about it often just like Savannah communicated earlier. If I really found myself in that story on that day and that moment, Would I actually have been a person in a posture where God could have got my attention? That ultimately what I was longing for, ultimately what I've been pursuing, ultimately what I was seeking, that the hope of my heart has actually been born? Or would I probably most likely be a person that missed it? Because I was too busy, too noisy, and didn't have time and margin to be still. To be still. I wonder about that. Notice it said about the shepherds that they were nearby. I want to tell you today that God is wanting Jesus to be birthed again. Not physically. But His kingdom, His character, who He is, His love, His mercy, His forgiveness, what He provides, He wants it to be birthed again in cities, in neighborhoods, in contexts, in families. And when God is wanting to do a new work, listen, He looks for those that are nearby where His heart is wanting to work to see those who are in a posture that He can get their attention and begin to engage them and sweep them up in what God is desiring to do. I want to tell you that God is desiring to engage every one of you and His goodwill revealed in Jesus to people around us. I have um, three children by God's grace and mercy, and our middle child is into dance, ballet, working on my stretching and stuff so I can really model it for her. But um, Until then, she's interested in it, and she comes home and Tells me what she's learned and stuff. And when you think about ballet, those that excel at it and know how to spin on the tips of their toes, what they teach them is in that spinning, they need a focal point. They need something that when they come back around, their eyes can get it so that they can keep that sense of balance even though they're spinning. I want to tell you that our lives are spinning 
I want to tell you that there are things that come in and out and there's always going and coming and we live in a culture that is spinning and spinning information and spinning all of this and I'm telling you for us not to lose our balance in order to wait well as we wait for the king to come we got to have a focal point we got to have a point in the busyness and the spinning of life that allows us to get still and get our eyes on Jesus and stay engaged on him what moments like this are for. Another moments in the community. But also moments in the secret place of prayer. See, listen to me. It's one thing to be excited about what God is doing. It's one thing to say, Pastor Chad, I'm so excited about what God's doing. I know God's working on the earth. I know He's working in my life. I know He's working at dwelling place. I know He's working in our community. I know God's working, and I know God's doing something, and I'm excited. Listen, it's one thing to be excited about what God is doing, but it's a totally different thing to actually know what He is doing. Listen to me. It is one thing to be excited that God is doing something. It's a totally different thing to actually know what He is doing. This is what really speaks to me this year as I read scriptures concerning the birth of Christ. Is that the shepherds and the sojourners were not just excited that God was doing something. They stand out. They stand out like a red thumb to the culture around them and the people around them and the people in the story. Because they actually were not just excited that God was doing something. They actually knew what He was doing. And here's the deal. They were excited about what God was doing. But God was doing was seen in the face of a baby. Now I want to tell you as a man in the 21st century. That I'm excited about what God is doing. But I'm concerned if I put myself in that story. What I have missed what actually God was doing in that moment and been able to see God in the face of a baby. See, my oldest is getting eight. He, he's now where he, he's starting to get interested in baseball again. I play college baseball, so I, I'm starting to get a little excited of, okay, let's go throw. And yes, he wants to play this season. But see, when he's a baby, I look at him and think, can't really do much with him. And, and, and I have fears as a man like you do in other areas or maybe this area. Not just, can I do anything with him? I have fears that if I do something with him as a baby, I'm going to hurt him. You'll see, I, you, your children, you wonderful parents that have children in this great church, you'll see it takes me a while before I hold your kid. <laughs> I got to really be in faith that I'm not going to mess. I mean, you're talking about value. You know why? Because here's what I've learned. I've learned there's a time where what excites us begins to shift. See, early on, men and even women, there's things that excites us in life, and that excitement fuels us. It motivates us. First time we're in our career, brand new job, or we graduated high school, we're ready to storm the world. We're ready to show we have skills. We're ready to show our parents we can accomplish something. We're ready to show our haters and those that said you'll never do it. We have excitement that we can show ourselves. We can prove it. 
there comes a point, listen, you follow Jesus long enough as you wait for his return where you're going to accomplish things and maybe you feel satisfied and you feel like you've accomplished enough. And yet, listen, you're going to have to realize that now where you find excitement, it's going to have to be somewhere else because the things you used to find excitement in, they're no longer new. Listen to me. And new things excite us. What do you do when nothing's new? What do you do when you're 15 plus years and you look at the same beautiful woman now, my lovely wife? What do you do now when my oldest is about to turn nine and I look at the same family every day? What do you do now when you go and you're at the same job year after year after year? What do you do when there's not newness? Listen to me. This gets really to the application, the heart of it. When you're waiting, God is trying to show you there's still a new way to worship. When you're waiting for a new door to open, when you're waiting for something new to happen, listen, God is trying to show you there's actually a new way to worship. And the new way to worship is to begin to be content in what you have overlooked being grateful for before. See, when there's always something new, it's like Christmas time. Get out your video camera, iPhone camera, because this is the time to prove what I'm preaching to you. And go watch some kids. Here's a present wrapped. Oh my gosh, they're so excited. It's a new present. They wrap it. Three seconds later, it's no longer new. They throw it to the side. Someone else has got a steel wrap present over there. Now they're excited for that when they run over. They unwrap it. They're excited. But now it's no longer new. Two seconds later, it goes to the side. See, newness excites. What do you do when you know your gift? You know what God has for your family. You, you know God's career for you. You're, you're, you're in that season of life, parents, children, career people, end of life, end of career. You're in that, and nothing seems new. Listen to me, I want to tell you, there is something new. It's new to be mesmerized by God's work and what you previously overlooked because it was common. Listen, I want to tell you something. That it's very easy to overlook a baby. To say, well, it's common. I want to tell you there's nothing common about a baby. It is the divine work of God. There's a beauty. There's a quietness. There's a splendor of God in the baby. And there comes a point where all of the newness and the busyness of the world, we have to be weaned from, and we learn to see God in a baby's face. We learn to see God in a tree because one day Jesus, he well, He did. He hung on a tree for us, a cross. We learn to see God not in the newness, but we learn to see God in the moment, in the stillness. This moment will never happen again. We learn to see God in the now. We're not so fearful and worried about the then. We learn to see God in obedience. See, listen, stilled, quieted minds see better. Still surrendered hearts see better. The pure in heart shall see God. Number 10, eventually we must see God in what we call ordinary and yet is so profoundly supernatural. Say, I've seen a hundred sunsets. I want to tell you, don't allow what you have seen as ordinary, what you have deemed common, don't allow it to stay common. It's profoundly supernatural. I want to tell you that your family is not common. It's supernatural in the day we live in. I want to tell you that a faithful marriage, a husband to one wife, is not common. It's supernatural. 
I want to tell you that eventually we must see God in our family, see God in our home, see God in our marriage, and be mesmerized with the beauty of what others deem as common or not valuable. We are mesmerized in the beauty of it. God's design is there. That's what I think Christmas says to us. When we get past all of the flashing lights and all of the balls and all of the rushing and all of the presents and we get still before the Christ child and we look at a face of a baby that what it's saying to us is that so often we're overlooking and missing supernaturally, supernatural beauty of God right in our midst. We need more. We need something more exciting and new. I want to tell you that you can find a new way to worship. We value again the importance of things that we've deemed common. See, in 1 John 2, 15, the Apostle John defines that everything that's in the world is not of the Father. It defines what it means by of the world. It's talking about the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. What I've come to know is that God begins to use waiting for our weaning. God begins to use seasons of waiting to wean us where we depend on things outwardly to excite us, to stimulate us, to fill us with hope and passion, to satisfy us, to seek to fill us. That in our waiting, God's weaning us from looking and depending on what we see with our eyes and desire with our flesh and pride to find satisfaction and delight in Him. And His beauty that's all around us, though we've been overlooking it and taking it for granted. What you're experiencing this moment, many say is common. I want you to know it's incredibly supernatural. This is not common. This is supernatural. This is beautiful. God's here in the now. There are people that are gathered together to seek to worship Jesus and hear for Him. That's not common. That's divinely Unordinary. Some of you are waiting, and while we're waiting to wait well means we're being weaned. We're being weaned from the lust of the eyes so that we see the beauty of being content in the ordinary of what we already have. Some of us are waiting, and we're being weaned from the pride of life. We're being weaned from depending on outward productivity, and we're understanding that there's beauty in being still and resting. Some of us are being weaned from the lust of the flesh to reveal the divine imprint in His presence in the ordinary. Robert Murray Shane, he was a Scottish minister. He said, when all nature is at rest, not a leaf moving, then at evening the dew comes down. No eye to see the pearly drops descending, no ear to hear them falling on the verdant grass. So does the Spirit come to you who believe. When the heart is at rest in Jesus, unseen, unheard by the world, the Spirit comes. Softly fills the believing soul, quickening all, renewing all within. I want to tell you there's renewal today, but it's as you find rest find the greater treasure of Jesus than all that the world has to offer. 
that you find there is a new way to worship, there is a newness found in Jesus that will make you thrilled and exciting, though you may have called it ordinary or people around you walk right past it and go about their life, that in what God is doing now in your life, there's beauty. In the text, I don't know if you saw it, but the angel told the shepherds an amazing statement. It said, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Watch this. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. When I hear that, I say, Wait, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute, I didn't ask. I didn't ask for a child to be born to me. I have my plans. I have my life. I have my pursuit. I have my dreams. I have my goals. I have my wish list for Christmas. Wait a minute. Don't obligate me, God. I didn't ask for responsibility. I didn't ask for a child to be given to me. I didn't ask for a savior. I didn't ask for a king. I was fine being my own king. I was fine depending on myself to make life happen and it take place how I desired. But listen, but but he's been born to you. He's been born to you today. I, I mean you. He's been born to you. What God has done in Christ has been done to you and for you. That it leads to affecting what happens through you. So I just came to see my grandkids. I just came to see my kids. And now you're saying I'm being confronted that something's been born to me and, and I'm going to give an account for this child, this king, this Savior. Yes. God has declared Jesus Christ through His death, burial, and resurrection to be King and Lord. The only one worthy of our surrender and our worship Worthy of all the treasure of our heart and all the longings of our being. We have a responsibility. You have a responsibility. I have a responsibility. Or what are we going to do with this Christ child? Because he's been born to you. He's been born to me. He's been born to us. What are you going to do with him? Say, well, Pastor Chad, I've, I've, I've acknowledged he's Lord. I, I've acknowledged he's Savior. Okay, well, now that he's in you, that you received the Spirit of Christ, what are you going to do with him? You're going to hide him from others? You're going to let him grow? You're going to let him to grow up and take over other treasures of your heart, other pursuits, other plans? You're going to let him grow in you and take over? We'll give an account because, listen, God sent his son not to condemn you, not to condemn the world. We were condemned already. He sent his son to save us, to save us from what we didn't even realize and know we needed to be saved from. Our desire to be king and God, our desire to live life our own. I'm telling you, a Savior's been born to you. And this Savior is king and He's Lord. He's Christ. We'll give an account for Him. Would you bow your heads for a moment? The band's going to begin to worship here in a moment just to conclude this wonderful day. Say, Pastor Chad, at some point today, I know by God's Spirit, He's communicated, He's spoken to me. And I just want before God and, and you to acknowledge that I'm aware that He's communicated something to me in this message. 
Whatever it is, if that's you, if you'll raise your hand up so I can see it. Yes, hands going up all over. Maybe you're here today, thank you, and you say, Chad, I'm hearing what you're saying. This this child, this the core, the, the reason for the season, this reality of why Christmas and even all the busyness and the lights and all of why it even started is that this child was born to me. I'm going to give an account what I did with him. Did I ignore him? Did I act like he wasn't born? Did I act like he's not Lord? Did I keep my life and just try to be my own king? I understand. I need, I need to acknowledge that he's Lord and King and my life is not mine. I want to surrender my life to him. I want to give the treasures, my priorities, my values. I want to open up my heart and life and say, all I am is for you, Jesus. Be Lord and King of me. If that's you, if you'll raise your hand up, I want to know if that's you. Yes, God bless you. God bless you. Maybe you're here and say, Chad, Jesus is Lord of my life, but you know what? I've, I've lost the focal point. I'm not in waiting for His return. I've not waited well. I've went about like people who didn't know that a son has been born, a, a kingdom and a government has been given. And I've been busy and distracted and I want to get my eyes back on Jesus and acknowledge His Lordship again. I want to invite the Holy Spirit to begin to work fresh and anew in my life. I want Him begin to have His way again in my life. If that's you, if you'll raise your hand up. Yes, God bless you. Yes. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.